Hello there, good morning, and welcome to an episode of Way of the Leader. In today's episode, we are talking about the five reasons, or the five most common reasons that I've found my clients won't achieve change. And this is not just my clients, these are also friends, family members, you know, as many people as I can get my hands on and asking them about their change. Now, let's quickly stop and ask a question. What do you mean by change, Justin? Well, what I mean is anytime that you're doing something that you want to stop, or you're doing, uh, you're not doing something and you want to start doing this. It could be uh, health habits and you want to eat better, stop eating uh, bad stuff, start moving more, um, you know, stop dedicating so much time to work. Uh, you want to start treating people better. You want to um, start taking care of yourself, self-care, meditation, whatever it is, you know, and what, what are the, the top five reasons that I find stops people? And I'm also going to include a couple of solutions for you as well. So hopefully there'll be some great value for you to take home in this. So before we get started, let me start by drinking a quick sip of my coffee that I've got here. Mm. Hopefully you've got a cup of coffee as well. What I'd like to offer you as well, you're more than welcome to uh, write a note in the um, the episode notes if you want, um, reply to the email or write in the comment section of Substack as well. And respond and tell me what has been the thing that you've been trying to change and what was the approach that didn't work for you. Now, hopefully you did change that thing. What was the approach that worked for you too? Now, I'm coming from a place of experience with this as we all are. We've all found things that worked and didn't work. And one of the biggest ones that worked for me was about smoking. I quit smoking. I was uh, smoking for about 10 to 12 years, you know, how do you classify exactly when you started? Was it the first drag or when you started making it a habit? So, you know, let's just say 10 years. And eventually my habit increased to the point where I was smoking about 30 cigarettes, which is a pack and a half a day. I would wake up in the middle of the evening to smoke as well. And it took me two years and six different attempts at stopping. Um, and then, of course, waiting a month, two months, and then starting again before it actually stuck. So one of the biggest things that I would say is that if you are struggling with this, if you're struggling with change, reach out, reach out to people that can help friends, family, things like that. Because one of the worst things that happened was not having the support structure and people who weren't rooting for me to actually succeed. So even when I failed, you know, yes, everybody wants you to succeed. But when I failed, people were like, ha ha, I see, you know, you keep trying to do this thing, but you just can't do it. Why don't you just admit you know, that type of support, like even if it is not possible for you to change, that type of support is not not necessary. So making sure that the right support structures are in place so that you feel you are not alone, that is a huge deal. Okay, so let's get into the top five things. Thing number one, and I see this all the time, and this is probably one of the biggest, is motivation. You know, if you're a fan of Tony Robbins, you know, any kind of motivational speaking like that, there are a dime a dozen at the moment, motivational speakers. And I'll be clear, I hate relying on motivation alone. Why? Why is that? Because motivation burns out fast. So it's good for initial um, programs, you know, for I would say the first two, maybe three weeks. And after that, you will see a phenomenal drop off. So if you are someone who's in the business of selling programs and whatever, you will see compliance drop off for your program in the three to four week mark. All of a sudden, because people are not motivated anymore, they start waking up to, oh my gosh, this is really hard. This is interfering with my life. You know, reality basically sets in. And so planning to survive on your motivation is 
in my experience, such a poor um, way to uh, to fuel your change, to fuel your growth. Um, now, the other thing to be said there is that with motivation, Stanford Research says that motivation is the third thing that actually creates behavior change, the third. And if you're interested in what the other two are, I'll be releasing an episode next week that talks to that as well. So stick around for that. Now, <clears throat> the interesting part about motivation is that, yes, it does help. It is a tool in the tool belt, but by no means should you have to get fired up every single morning to just be compliant with something that you want to make as automatic as brushing your teeth. Do you have to get motivated to brush your teeth and just jump up and down and be like, come on, come on, let's go get it. Yeah, motivation, brush our teeth. Like what? No. And most of the habits that we're trying to uh, create in our life or stop in our life, we want to overcome them with a sense of ease, joy, uh, a real piece of this fits into my life naturally and automatically, effortlessly. And you can only do that by approaching it as a routine-based thing, in my opinion. Now, uh, let me know what you think as well. You know, what do you, would you agree with me? I don't know. Let's, let's uh, start some dialogue on that. So number two, the second thing is stakes. Now, I've seen this. It was really popularized in my mind uh, by uh, Tim Ferriss. In one of his books, he mentioned it. Um, I, th I believe it was The 4-Hour Chef. He talked about a website called Stick with two Ks at the end. Um, and the idea is that you put up stakes like 100 bucks, and a friend of yours is basically the judge and judges if you are compliant with what you say you're going to do or not. And if you are not, they donate that 100 bucks to the charity that you would hate to give money to. Okay. And that's very motivating to feel the sting of money leaving you, number one. But number two, going towards something that you absolutely don't connect with. That's a big sting as well. So a lot of people then set up stakes like, oh, if I don't do 50 push-ups a day, I'll give my friend 100 bucks. You know, so you can do it without the websites. Now, the, the issue is, is that what we're doing is we're actually fueling the change through loss and lack in order for me to not lose this thing, let me start this behavior. So the identification and the association of your habit change is actually, initially it could be a bit of a game, but in, let's imagine that it carries on. Are you telling your brain that you can only change? Not when it's pleasurable, but actually when there's a stick behind you, ready to hit you, or that you need the carrot in front of you to motivate you. That largely takes away uh, a lot of autonomy and a sense of control over your own life. In in my case, when people are desperate to change, anything works. Absolutely. But what does change look like if we remove desperation and we put in there, you know, joy, uh, curiosity and empowerment as well, an ownership over that change. And that's really where I work from when I work with my clients as well. So very much stakes don't work. So that's number three. So let's go to, uh, sorry, that's number two. So let's go to number three. And number three is something that I see in the uh, biohacking space, you know, the productivity space. I see this a lot with people who want to be uber productive. They talk about habit stacking. They also talk about what are the keystone habits, you know, what are these habits that if you do, there's a cascade of benefits that can be added on other habits that'll be added on. And I reject that type of thing because if we have to value a habit according to what we think is productive versus a habit that we enjoy that lights us up. We start to uh, border and teeter on this idea of conformity versus individuality. 
And unfortunately, the result is that you start to get people who think that they're just another, um, you know, a carbon copy of another person. And there's a lot less personalization in there, which can challenge your value and your uniqueness to society at large as well. So I'm not one for this type of approach. So habit stacking says, okay, cool, if we're going to habit stack, it's more the idea of, okay, you're going to brush your teeth. So when I brush my teeth, I before I brush my teeth, I will do this. And it's based on um, a lot of work within exercise called greasing the groove. You know, put a pull-up door on your uh, pull-up bar on your door, and every time you walk into the bathroom, you just force yourself to do one pull-up, two pull-ups, and you grease the groove. You basically make it an automatic habit so that your body starts to build up experience. Cool habit stacking, same thing. Put things in place, and so when you do this, then you will do that. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But what you find is that. Most people will then just start stacking and stacking and stacking and stacking because they don't spend time thoroughly thinking through their habits and what they're stacking. And so you get entrepreneurs who have four hour wake up routines, you know, and this was obviously made famous by Dave Asprey of Bulletproof Coffee, um, where he initially talked about like his perfect morning routine. Um, A couple of years later, he changed that and he says, yeah, I've got kids now. There is no perfect morning routine, a perfect morning And the routine around it is all about the kids. And the perfect morning is being defined by, are the kids out the door in one piece? Yes, great, fantastic. So all of that went out the window. The habit stacking thing starts to get ridiculous. You know, it and it also robs people of the joy, uh, the pleasure of exploration as well, uh, to a lot of my experience with people who use it. So that's number three. Number four. Number four is something I have quite a lot of experience with. And it's a way to hold yourself back. It's perfect programming. I will wait until the perfect time, the perfect program presents itself, the perfect instructor for me. So one of the things that I've been um, exploring for three years has been flexibility, you know, mobility. Um, can Can I touch my toes, go into the splits, things like that. And I've explored a lot of different approaches and methodologies. And I've paid for a lot of programs and a lot of one-to-one coaching from online trainers who are fantastic, but weren't suitable for me. And I held off for a year before hiring this one coach, a year, because I was like, oh, his program is too expensive. Um, it's not the right time. I don't have enough time laid aside. I don't, I'm not bringing in enough disposable income for me to justify this yet. And eventually a year later, I paid for his content, didn't really help me. And as a matter of fact, I actually found that what was presented online and what the actual experience of it was, was two separate things. I expected a much more nuanced approach, a much more insightful approach. And it was basically just throw enough crap against the wall and some of it will stick. And, you know, I was spending hours and all my time training just focused on these things. And I'm like, this is not the solution that I'm looking for. I would like a different solution. And I'm not one for the brute force solutions. So if you aren't either, you know, I'd be very weary of this. And I would take my time before, if personal, if the personal program exists for you, that's wonderful. But don't hold out. Don't wait. You know, begin exploring the topic on your own terms and with, what, with things that you can afford, the things that are imperfect. Because by the time you reach that perfect thing, 
you've already wasted a lot of time. And I, I know it's, it's kind of paradoxical to say waste time. There's no such thing as wasting time. Everything has transfer. But the idea is that's time that you've been holding yourself back. And what I'm saying is don't hold yourself back. Get curious. Start exploring and find enjoyment. That is perfect programming. And like I said, if you would like to hear more on what I consider to be the perfect program, um, I know what, but I just said perfect program doesn't exist. Well, I have a way of looking at it as well that you might appreciate. That's going to be in next week's episode, along with the Stanford research on behavior change too. So the final thing that I would say, the number five, the fifth reason is going to be the whole identity shift paradigm. So this was made famous by James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits. No doubt you've heard of it, you've seen it, you've read it, you're aware of it. Now in this it's suggested that if you identify as um, someone who doesn't do that thing versus um, I'm a person who just, I'm not interested in this. Uh, give you a quick example. He says, don't say, no thanks, I'm trying to quit smoking. Straight away, your identity is that trying is, of course, a struggle. And that your identity is that you are a smoker who is quitting versus saying, no thanks, I don't smoke. I'm a non-smoker. I don't smoke. This, this is my, my normal. By practicing that language or by, by putting yourself in that identity, it creates a stronger behavior change. That's absolutely true. It is absolutely true. And I don't agree because I think that it's a lot more nuanced than that. In order for you to be, create identity change, you need experience behind you, skill sets behind you. You need multiple things that you can point at to say, I'm not, this, I'm not a, a smoker. Look at my track record. Okay, so you can start to pay attention to your track record. So instead of being in the identity, it's rather look at all the times that you've said no and you're building more and more a track record of not smoking, of you've been offered an opportunity to smoke and you've turned down that opportunity. So in your mind, you start there by saying, no thanks, I've already turned down 15 opportunities to smoke. You know, this is number 16, something like that. Building up that track record creates a lot more of this identity shift of, huh, 16 times and I've not been offered to smoke? That's interesting. I guess I am becoming a non-smoker. That's interesting. So my point is that identity needs time to change. Well, what if we don't give it time to change? What if we just follow James Clear's instructions and start, you know, identifying in this way? Well, the problem is, is that the mind... <clears throat> doesn't care what your intentions are. So you can say, oh, I'm a non-smoker, all you want. But in those moments where you're feeling the pang of smoking and you really, really, really are dying for a cigarette and you light up, you know, you light up, it happens. We need to practice. We need to practice the mindset of acceptance that you will not comply with an initial program of change. So plan for these moments. And so in this case, okay, cool, you've, you've now started smoking a cigarette, but you've been telling people you're a non-smoker. Your brain will pay attention to the behavior more. Look at the track record, right? I say this, but I do this. And that creates a sense of cognitive dissonance in your identity, that somehow you are now a fraud. That could create a greater problem than this, the problem that we're trying to solve, you know, this fact that you're incongruent 
with what you're saying. What you say and what you do are at opposite ends of the spectrum. And as much as you can tell yourself a story to justify, no, but it was a one-time thing or whatever, in the back of your mind, there's still that criticism that exists because those voices know that you're not being honest. So it's very dangerous to just identify in this identity thing. Look at me, I'm a non-smoker. Oh, oh no, I saw it's a cigarette there. And we get this what the hell effect. You know, uh, if you haven't heard it, it's when people are on a diet, let's say, and they cheat one small little time. Instead of looking all the times that they haven't cheated, they start to focus on the fact that they cheated. And so they go, what the hell? Let me just have another and have another. And oh, what the hell? Let me just start it again on Monday. And so we get this restart phase. The what the hell effect comes in when there is this cognitive dissonance, when we start breaking our attempts at habit change and our perfect models and um, everything that I've mentioned before. And so really the danger is not um, the what the hell effect. Really the danger is planning to be perfect and planning around this idea of, oh, if I'll change my identity and then I'll no longer be a smoker because I'll start saying, no, it's not my identity. That's such a big deal because it creates cognitive dissonance. That cognitive dissonance can actually do more harm to your habit change than anything else. So how do we get around this? Well, like I said, next week's uh, podcast, next week's videos on YouTube as well. If you consume my content there, it's slightly different to the podcast. The podcast, I speak a little bit more freely about it. Um, In this podcast, I've already offered a lot more than what's in the video as well. But the video is visual and people enjoy videos and and visual elements. Plus, I use Jean-Luc Picard from Star Trek in there. So that's pretty cool. So the yeah don't expect it to be more than like a few seconds i don't want to get copyright struck (laughs) the very simple point is that when people tell you all that you need to do is take charge of your change like yes they are right change has a rhythm to it acceptance awareness first then acceptance then a sense of ownership a sense of how can I use this to my advantage. And there's a perspective shift that needs to be taken. And if you are in a state where you're identifying as a victim or in a state of conflict where it's black and white and there is no gray zones and it's always a fight, you need to get out of those states first because any change can have great impact on you in a negative way if you are not out of those states. So be mindful of that. If you'd like to find out more about getting out of negative states, I'd love to hear from you. I mean, you're welcome to send me a message and everything like that. We can take a call and I can give you some recommendations just in that call very quickly on some ideas for you. If you like what you heard, please uh, feel free to leave a review. Um, If you're not yet subscribed to the Substack, the wavealeader.substack.com, please do. I do release um, subscriber-only content as well, and I've got plans for the future for releasing more things to benefit subscribers only. Costs nothing, nothing of your time, just value in return and an occasional email. So I hope you have a wonderful day. I will speak to you in the next one. Ta-ta for now.